whenever finance gets super complicated, it's probably there are some things that are complicated, of course. But whenever it gets super complicated, it's probably because somebody's running a grift or a scam. When people started to explain to me, oh, you can get 15%, 20% by loaning out your Bitcoin. I was like, okay, what's explain to me the scam? What's the grift? And they're like, not a grift. I'm like, okay, who's paying the 15% interest? And they're well, like, what's the no, what's the risk that I'm not seeing? Exactly. This week in startups is brought to you by Coda. Coda is the all-in-one doc for teams. If you've got a stack of niche workflow tools, or if you're buried in docs and spreadsheets, Coda is the doc that brings it all together. Startups can get a $1,000 credit at coda.io slash twist. Active campaign. The hardest thing in business is turning a lead into a customer into a repeat customer. Simplify the process and start creating repeat customers with 10% off your Active Campaign subscription today at activecampaign.com slash promo slash twist. And LinkedIn Marketing. To redeem a free $100 LinkedIn ad credit and launch your first campaign, go to linkedin.com slash thisweekinstartups. All right, everybody, I've quit This Week in Startups and All In, and I'm now working for Downtown Josh Brown. I'm Jason Calacanis. Welcome Thanks aboard, for hiring Jason. Me. Thank Welcome. Thanks for hiring Welcome. me. No, explain what we're doing here, Josh. It's an experiment. We're doing an experiment. We are simulcasting. Is that the right way to say it? We're dual sort of. casting, I guess. Dual we're casting. Dual casting. All right. So, all right. So here's what's going. So here's what's going on. We are live on your channel. Okay. Um, this Week in Startups. Yep. Yes. And we're live on the compound, which is our channel. And I think there are live chats going in both uh, places. Yeah, I, I think they're separate, though. I don't think my people are mingling with your people. I'm not 100% no, sure about that. They're separated. So there's okay. no back and forth. But we can on restream see both coming in. Yes, so that's pretty I, cool. That's how do pretty we know cool. If the comments coming from our folks or yours. That's a good question. If <laughs> I think we're purple. They're they're gray. I believe. Oh, maybe that's what it is. Yeah, look at that. Anyway, yeah, you're in the yeah, restream yeah. interface, we can no see offense, both of them. Jason. I see a lot of our. I see a lot of our. Yeah, fans. let's go purple. <laughs> okay, well, I, let's, yeah, exactly. Well, I'm just tweeting. You guys have been having incredible. Uh, I don't know how long you've been doing your live streams, Josh and Michael, but yeah, you're. I, when I tune in, you got 500 people, a thousand people. We get three, four hundred. Uh, you know, pretty regularly now. But this new streaming live. Looking than you. There is that. There is that. I mean, Josh and I. I feel like we have pretty close hair we're, we're both you know <laughs> sure. whatever 67 percent. we're trying to i don't know what's going get on a little today. bit of a dip here michael i don't know what's going on with your hair i'm at zero i've been at zero for a while now well i was watching you guys had a show where you were talking about there's a pill coming so yes. josh and i can get back the two inches we lost here yes that's gonna be pretty <laughs> Mike, epic and michael and michael can od on the on the rest of the bottle I don't, um, yeah, I don't think it's going to work for you, Michael. I think you're too far gone. Nah, I'm done. I'm done. You're so done. we think we think that our audience is primarily uh, individual investors, yep. and then probably like let's say ten to twenty percent are professional investors and/or financial advisors. We have a like lot of, we, fed of Fed officials. Fed officials tune in. A lot of Fed officials. We know. Uh, we know when we look at Google Analytics that this skews a lot younger than anything mm. else that we do. Yep. And for, for those who are older than me, for the young of heart, not age yeah. doesn't have to be biological. Um, who do you think is um, the core audience for this week in startups? Yeah, it's very clearly people running startups, uh, capital allocators in the private market, and then fans of tech, you know, writ large. Sure. So if you just were fans of apps and 
you know, technology, we talk about general tech as well. So I think there's some crossover here, but it, it's probably 25% or something to that. And I think it's just a good way to introduce people to both channels. And I've totally. been watching your channel and your experimentation with the YouTube live audience. So this week in startups is over 10 years old, we do six episodes a week. And it is, you know, a bit of an institution, we sell out all the ads, it makes millions of dollars a year, I just have Molly Wood as my co host now I got her from marketplace. Um, and so we got nine people working on it full time, but we started this live on YouTube, because I got obsessed with a YouTube live channel called Knicks fan TV. I'm a diehard yeah. Knicks fan. It's so totally. Yeah, so sorry, we should sorry talk about that. I know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on this off season, but uh, at least we we're going to get them. We're going to get them tomorrow. It's good. Yeah. I don't know well, how great it is, but we're going to pay 110 million. Him is not I, that good. So. Yeah. I mean, he seems like a great gritty point guard for 15 to 20 million, but I don't think for 25 million. Jason, he's, we, don't, he's a, we don't know. He plays he's going in Luca. No, we don't. He's, he's a good player on a good team and we're a team. So we don't, you know. I mean, there's no way we can go down, right? But I just love RJ Barrett. I, I'm really watching his development. I think this is going to be the breakout year. I love a lot of our bench, you know, quickly. Grimes, OB, uh, Sims, Jer I don't know if you're watching Jericho Sims development. I yeah. think that kid's got potential. Big, big fan. He's a monster. He's a monster. He's a, he's, a he's a child, but he's a monster. He doesn't know how to play basketball yet. He's like a few years away. <laughs> he knows how to put the, to dunk the basket and to block the shot. And he's so high in the air. And I think OB Toppin's the other one. If we just do player development, I think this team's, you know, got great potential. It seems like a lot of the teams that have made it did it through drafting, right? Like I, savvy draft. I'm hearing, Jason, I'm hearing way too much optimism. You've been a Knicks fan for a long time. What is That's this? It. That's the problem. I had, I was in the last row of section 324 during the Ewing era. I, I was there for the Larry Johnson four point play. I was there for Spreewell, the Spurs loss. I watched There's the Spurs nothing, celebrate. So, so how are you still glass half full? I don't even understand. Well, uh, you we haven't won a playoff you? series in, in 22 years. I guess okay, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. Eternal. I'll tell you why. Springs Eternal. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you my plan. I have done okay uh, investing in private market companies uh, that sometimes go public. You're an optimist. Uh, and I made a 10-year plan. <laughs> I looked at all my angel investing. This year, I'll do, you know, put 100 million to work in private markets with my team of 21 people, right? I am pretty active angel investor in early stage companies. And I, there is an outside chance if I hit two more Ubers in my life and a couple of more of those singles and doubles. Do it. That I would have enough money I could hit trace commas and lead a group to buy the Knicks. <laughs> this it's is the last sale. thing. It's not for on, sale. Yeah. It's, They'll I never sell not, it. But there's always a possibility that, you know, Dolan could tokenize his music career. His music career could go really oh, well. Man. And the, the downtown brand, but he's got, I think his band is called downtown something. His, his, I will, stream his, I will stream his music on repeat for hours a day if that's what it takes. I would literally listen to his music for an hour a day if he would sell me the next. I will book his band for every bar mitzvah on Long Island Absolutely. to get him JD out of that in building. JD the straight shot, just crushing it out there. JD in okay. the straight shot. So, JD. Uh, I, you know, I don't have an exact format for here, but I thought maybe taking questions from the audience and going back about, and just talking about markets, because I watch your show to give people a little idea of what the compound is how long have you been doing it? it's been is it under a year now or is it no, a year? it's not that it's not that long but it's more than a year 2018 we, i think we launched in 2018 but we didn't start hiring actual staff ah. until 19 mm -hmm. and so we so there's a lot going on behind the scenes that makes the show look much better than it would be if it was just my, me and mike 
trying to figure out YouTube and podcasts. So we've got uh, staff and they are incredible editors, uh, videographers, audio engineers. They just uh, social media people. And we've made a big investment because the feedback that we get from our clients uh, who are watching our stuff and listening to our stuff is that it's really like become part of their routine. Mm. And, you know, when you have people managing money for you and giving you financial advice, it's not realistic that you're going to talk to them every day, but they don't feel the need to because we're giving everybody so much information about how we think and what we're debating internally. And yes, um, so it it's like a really great combination of uh, building a fan base who will eventually become clients and talking to existing clients uh, and friends of the firm all in in one package. So we're really enjoying doing it. Contrast it for me, Josh, to your CNBC hits, because you're still doing that. Yeah. How is this different, this medium? Because I, I was doing CNBC like every other week for a while, uh, and we got to share the stage a couple times, I think. Um, and so it's very different, obviously, podcasting. And then podcasting is different than YouTube live streaming. So I guess it's like three buckets there. But for you, how well, you, does your right, performance so you, change? So, so, so you can relate to this. Your show all in is, uh, routinely every week, one of the top business podcasts in the world. And you have a rapport with that crew and it's yeah. the same crew pretty much, you know, every time I know every once in a while people can't make it and you throw some new voices into the mix, yeah. but like there are just people that you can almost like Michael could probably explain it better than I can, but there's like a rapport. That sure. enables a much better conversation sometimes than when two people who barely know each other are on a Zoom or, right. you know, two different studios. So, uh, you know, I feel like the podcast, I feel like the podcast um, formula is the winning formula for pretty much every topic under the sun, whether it's sports, 100%. history, pop culture. So yep. for finance, it's a layup. It's people that understand each other's differences and similarities and they know when one is finishing a sentence, the other one's beginning. It's like, it's just so much. It's like team basketball. It's like being the Warriors or something. You're passing the ball better and Michael, as opposed you, to pickup ball. What do you think about yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, TV is, TV is a tough format. You've got 20 seconds to make a point. It's all about what's going to happen by the end of the day. It's just, it's hard to, it's hard to get nuance in there. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's a, just a tough format, I think. Yeah, yeah I think TV is great for real-time breaking and that's a lot of what, you know, what we do in financial media because the market is the subject and the market is constantly moving. So that is important. But then there's like room for later in the day or mm. early the next morning for people who are commuting to work or riding a bike or whatever, yep. going for a walk. And there's no need for real time. The market's closed. And like, let's try to like figure out what's going on together. So yeah. that's where I think podcasts fit in. It's not either or. Most people in the middle of the day aren't consuming a podcast if the market's open because they're paying attention to what the market's doing. So I, I feel like it's just another day part that live TV in finance doesn't really address. There's also like CNBC has Shark Tank on at night. You know what I mean? There's also something to the audio format. And I learned this from being a lifelong Howard Stern fan where you feel like you know every character on his show. Absolutely. You take Bob them Bob with Bowie. you where you exactly you take them with you where you go. And I'll like if I listen to an old Howard Stern bit, I will remember oftentimes literally where I was in the car when I heard that the first time. I could tell you the first time I, I heard Howard Stern when I was fifteen years old in Brooklyn and a friend came over and said, You have to listen 
to this tape. It's Hill Street Jews. And it's a bunch of Hasidic guys playing the characters of Hill Street Blues, the old TV show. And it was like contraband to have tapes of Howard Stern in the 80s to listen to when he was on the in the afternoon. Um, so so just taking this a step further, I heard yeah. Daniel Eck give an interview about the power of audio. Mm. And he made this point that really uh, resonated with me. Um, if you think about all of the mediums, television, movies, a book, like Magazines, any way yeah, that you yeah. get content. So a uh, newspaper article, magazine, take all of those mediums. The most true medium mm. is audio. And the example he gave is... There were tape recordings of the Beatles in studio. I forget what album they were recording, but in between takes, they're like mm. legitimately having conversations about, about yeah. nonsense. What's for lunch today? Why yeah. was John late? Whatever. Um, but when you listen to that with your eyes closed, it's like you're in the room with them. Yes. No other medium. So when you watch a movie, the director makes choices. What angle am I shooting this from? Yes. What, what, uh, coloration you're being manipulated being, they're literally being thinking, manipulated it's magical it's, to, yeah which right. is great if you're a startup having a disorganized team is going to kill your business you need everybody to be on the same page and as an investor i see this all the time you must adopt a right first culture especially in this remote world and use great structure in a beautiful coda page one doc to rule them all works right out of the box it's totally customizable Encoda, your text and tables, they live together on the same doc, which means all your valuable data, the objectives, the KPIs, the strategies are all in one place. Nothing gets lost and your team is literally on the same page. Some great ways that we use Coda, product roadmaps, absolutely important. Remote onboarding, super important. And taking meeting notes and Coda has a ton of templates for almost anything you can imagine. In fact, we put our 100 point checklist on Coda. So just go to thisweekinstartups.com slash SC. You can make a copy of this. You can do the checklist yourself with your internal team. You can expand it. You can make it a 200-point checklist. You could make three sub-checklists underneath some of the important items. So join the productivity revolution and sign up for Coda. Head to coda.io slash twist to sign up and get $1,000 in startup credits. Huh? How great is that? Voice is voice. Like, yeah. if you're listening to the three of us right now, you could conceivably be in the room with us and it's all yeah. true. There's yeah. nothing, you know, there's nothing it's disguising the authentic, what's going on. You know, of all the I mediums. So. And if you think about what's happened in journalism, you know, we look at the New York Times, we look at Fox, MSNBC, everybody seems to have picked a side, everybody's got an agenda. You layer on link baiting on top of that, you layer on their desire to get subscribers by picking a side, like the New York Times, you know, felt like left moderate, but now it feels like it's MSNBC. And then other people feel like they're going super far to the right to, to catch up to Fox. And it's just gross to even click on those links. Like every week here in Silicon Valley, we have another tech company when the New York Times is just dunking on them and trying to destroy them. The Away founder with that luggage company, they got destroyed. The woman who ran that company, they just do these kind of hit pieces in the New York Times. And then I had the guy from Kraken, the guy Jesse, who they did a hit piece on like last week, and he seemed completely reasonable on a podcast. And so I think the audience is starting to figure this out as well. It's like, oh, Joe Rogan interviewing somebody. Yeah, I can make my own decision of what I think of Jordan Peterson or what I think of Sam Harris or whoever. Um, and I don't need a journalist at the New York Times to reframe it for me and do those edits like the Scorsese is doing to you know make you feel emotion. I think the New York Times is now making those edits. They're making the quotes 
kind of lead you in a direction. So I, They're leading I the witness. I kind of see a push and pull there. Like yeah. I heard Ray Dalio talk about the Wall, you know, the Wall Street Journal had mm. been going very in depth on Bridgewater, and not everything they published was flattering. Mm. And Dalio, in response, started LinkedIn, and he just started saying, rather than you know, hope that my message gets out through a reporter, I'll just start writing my own LinkedIn column. Um, and it's been successful for him. And you know, one of the comments he made—not one hundred percent sure—I believe this, but. The media is the is part of the the problem with America because we have no heroes anymore. The minute somebody accomplishes something, the instinct on the part of the press is how can we rip this person to shreds uh, yeah, for clicks? Now, so that's one side of it. The other side of it is we've had incredible journalism that has probably saved investors a lot of money sure. by being skeptical. And the Theranos example, Theranos, yeah, John Kerry, yes, yeah, so, I mean, so like the. You need you need uh, the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times to support journalists who are going to be I don't want to say cynical but maybe skeptical enough yeah. so that if there is bull going on a lot yeah, of money doesn't get lost so it's I don't know where the line is of course it's, it's always moving like shorts but you know like shorting is a great thing in terms of intellectual honesty in the markets somebody gets to place a bet against it but then if they go fud like they did on Tesla. You're like, okay, you're sending drones over like a garage to tell us that there's no Model 3s being shipped. But when I drop my kid off at school, it's all Teslas. Like, I, what's the narrative here? Like, if they're delivering the cars, they're delivering the cars. So the FUD stuff gets kind of out of well, control. Jason, right? it's, it's, very, it's very simple because it's all driven by incentives. So I was looking at this because there's a saying in our industry, our friend Phil Perman says, the higher the VIX, the higher the clicks. Okay. And I was breaking this down on my own blog. I'm going to write about it later this week. When the VIX is under 25, which is a pretty like calm market environment, mm. I average around 5,000 page views on my blog. Got when it. the VIX is over 45, it's 15,000. Yeah, so it's, it's it very it constant leads, for everybody. That's it. That's it. Yeah, it's very really simple. It's more There's a on, new one. On, what's that? Now, it's called Nicks for Clicks. Last night, Bill Simmons started his show, and I talked to Bill Simmons about this, of like, he's got so many Knicks fans left. I'm constantly, you know, DMing him Knicks stuff. And they started the show with Knicks just to go off on us for like our off season. And, you know, like we can't get any superstars here. And we got Leon Rose and all these CA people. And so what um, CP of the franchise who does this Knicks fan TV thing, what he calls it is Knicks for clicks. So, so right. anytime the national press wants to get clicks, Stephen A. Smith, whoever it is, Knicks for clicks. Yeah. So and, and the, Trump the reason why the Knicks can't get any, the Knicks can get it's people the here. Yeah. The, Knicks, the Knicks can get people here. Yeah. But they, 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 all right. I I spoke to Ennis Cantor, one of my favorite players in the NBA. Of course, uh, yes. I mean, just like one of the most passionate people I've ever met. You mean um, Freedom Cantor? Excuse me, Freedom, Freedom Cantor. So I I spent a day with him a couple of years ago, and he was on he was on the Knicks, but leaving. And one of the things that he said is like a really big impediment um, to getting you know great young players to want to come. It's so weird. It's so yeah. strange. But like. I believe him because he's had conversations with people about this. If you're a young player joining the Knicks, where do you live? Because they mm. practice in Westchester. It's Westchester, yes. Yeah. They Move play the on the facility to Manhattan they, or Brooklyn. Right, right. They play on the west side of Manhattan, but they practice in Westchester. So, like, just and a half. like yeah. hypothetically, you choose to live in Westchester. Okay, great. You're right near the practice facility, but you could be two hours from MSG on game day by car. 
It's a disaster. So, so do it reverse. Live in Midtown Manhattan. Not great, but do that. Now what? So you're near the games, but for practice, you could so get down. stuck in rush hour traffic leaving Manhattan. So it's like this weird thing that nobody would ever think about, but he's like, people it's think about their lifestyle. So if four teams are going to give them $20 million, why would they pick the team that makes them commute like a shoe salesman? Right? Why isn't the training facility at MSG? Just they're buy schmucks. the building next to it. Schmucks. They're schmucks. It's unbelievable. Clear, I am going to make it first class all the way. I'm going to build like a, an entire building. I'm going to give them, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to on the slide. And also it's the owner. Market you saw, rent and you penthouses. Saw how, how Dolan treats uh, Charles Oakley throwing him out of the building. I mean, the that secret, tells there's you no everything. secret. The words that nobody's coming here. Listen, one of the hardest things in business is turning a lead into a customer and then keeping that customer around for the long term. This is your funnel. Well, one of the best ways to do that is by having a seamless customer experience. On the other hand, a bad customer experience could kill your company. Seriously, we all know that. It's the leaky bucket syndrome. It's churn. So if you want to create an amazing experience for your customers, you need to check out Active Campaign because Active Campaign lets you create personalized experiences and it saves you time while doing so. Because once you have these custom pathways created, you can automate them. So you'll save time and provide tailored experiences at scale. This is a win-win. So cut out all the tedious manual tasks like moving information around, cutting and pasting, database exports, start creating personalized customer experiences and get 10% off your active campaign subscription today at activecampaign.com slash promo slash twist. That's activecampaign.com slash promo slash twist for 10% off and to let them know you came from this week in startups. Hey, what's it like being what? So tell us about your like role or involvement with the Warriors and what what this year felt like. Like, give us uh, give us some give us some. Well, I you know I'm a diehard Knicks fan, but since we're not in the playoffs, I also yeah, don't became worry friendly. about that. Yeah, so I, I'm friendly. <laughs> I'm, I'm I root for the Warriors. I like their style of play. I'm friendly with a couple of the Warriors. Um, I'm very good friends with Draymond, in fact, and so and my friend Shamath uh, owns part of the team. And so I, I developed relationships with some of the players through Chamath. And then, you know, uh, I go to the games. I, you know, I, I went to all I, I went to all the playoff and finals games. They're incredible to see. And then we saw you. Uh, yeah, I was I had courtside <laughs> for one. Ironically, I had courtside for one, which somebody gave me the ticket. I didn't pay for it. Um, and I sit down. And who am I sitting down next to? Cheryl Sandberg. And so okay. everybody's like, oh, Cheryl and Jay Cal are going to the game. And I've been so critical of Zuckerberg. So that was a very funny moment. Uh, and then I, I took Molly to the second row. I paid for those seats. And then I have a friend who has the tickets right behind the bench of the Warriors. Mm. So I go, to, I sit in those all the time, which is my favorite seats because I can see right there. And I know Steph. And so Steph will say hi to me or whatever. And everybody kind of freaks out or whatever. Um, but the funny story was when I first started going to the games, I was sitting in Chamat's seat and they're playing the Knicks. And I was not friends with any of the team players yet. So they're going up 30 against the Knicks. Uh, and I say to Steve Kerr, you know, like, what are you doing? This is Bush League. Like, get the starters out. What if, like, Steph rolls his anchor and Andre Iguodala tells me to shut up? Bogut tells me to <laughs> shut up. I start telling them, listen, you guys can't even beat the Clippers. You need to shut up. You're up 30 on the Knicks. You're not getting past the Clippers. This is before they had won any games. And so then I became good friends with Bogut, good friends with David Lee. Uh, and I play, you know, we're, it's a small town here. So we play cards, we hang out or whatever. But I got to go to three out of the four years they went to Vegas to celebrate. So three out of those three years, I went to th with them to Vegas. So it's just a lot of fun to, you know, 
hang so, out with them. So how important? So so the Knicks can't attract young players. No, the Warriors obviously they're, they're obviously they're the best team in the league over the last ten years. But besides that, one one attribute of that team and where they're based is that there seem to be like venture investing opportunities available sure, to sure. NBA players who show up there. Yep. Just like by being in the scene and meeting people who have front exactly. row seats. That, yeah. But that's like a hidden advantage. It's not hidden. Huge, that's like an advantage that your team has to attract talent, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Igadalu has his own fund. KD was involved with a lot of the companies when he was out here. Yep. Um, uh, Draymond is involved in that stuff. I Draymond's getting into media stuff now. So I, you know, I'm a media guy. So I've been, you know, talking to him about his plans and brainstorming with him and just even giving him some like on air tips of like, hey, you know, great job on that. You know, I don't know if you watch his Draymond Green show on the post. Um, after he does uh after he plays in the game, he goes home and he records a YouTube video, which is pretty crazy. That's, cr that's crazy. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, so it's pretty great. Um, and you know, it's just nice to be watching that style of play. I think Steve Kerr is a genius. He got everybody to buy in. Steph is, you know, if, if we look back on Steph, I mean, what? how is history going to look at him and the LeBron era? You know, like who's going to have a bigger up, I think he moved up a lot uh, in the last month, just in, yeah. in in the minds of basketball people. It's not a, a f it's not just like a guy with a circus shot anymore. It's no. a guy that can carry a whole team to a championship. Basically. And change the game. I mean, like if you look at LeBron and you look at Steph, yeah. like LeBron is obviously like this incredible, like basketball player like is there anybody who's ever been an individual better basketball player forget about the championships just as an individual um but then he didn't change the game it's not like they had to change the rules or everybody changed the style of the game you know Shaq they had to change rules for him they changed yeah. rules for I think Steph you know like really did change the game uh, and that's my that's, kids my, my son plays uh AAU uh basketball on a travel team we're a million miles away from the Bay Area but these kids are throwing up threes like they Logo would not shots. have been doing 15 years ago. There's just no way. Yeah, they're, no. And, they're hit, and they're hitting them because that's all they work on. Um, and that's yeah. the, you know, the most glamorous thing you could do as a 13-year-old is, is hit two or three three-pointers in a game. That would not be how they would have been playing 15 years ago. So I agree with you. Let's go to markets. I have a question for you guys. Uh, if we... This has been quite a drawdown, obviously, um, for tech stocks, for growth stocks, et cetera. Do you believe we're bouncing along the bottom right now? Because we're looking at some of the valuations. I've started to see these, you know, moments where like large cash position in a company, great revenue base. Maybe the company's a little mismanaged. It's been managed for growth, not for cash flow. But this massive discipline that's come to the market, all of a sudden the cuts, the hiring freezes from some of the big companies. You know, it feels like everybody took the medicine this time really fast. You know, like people realize we're in a downturn and public companies said, we're stopping hiring, we're making cuts, we're going to focus on free cash flow. Is this, is this the bottom? Is this bouncing along the bottom? What do you, Mike, what do you think? You? I think that there's, there's no indication that we've bottomed. I think you're going to have to unfortunately see inflation come down. I think it's really that simple. So you've seen companies take their medicine, valuations reset very quickly. Austin Reef tweeted today just to give you an idea of how bad it is. How much would you pay for a company with 170 million monthly web visits, 50 million YouTube followers, a two-day event with 60,000 attendees, and an eight-figure hot sauce brand? That company he was describing is uh, BuzzFeed. Their market cap is $200 million. Jason, I know you're seeing deals in the private space Crazy. that are 
multiple times. He's going to he's gonna put dollars. us. He's going to put us on hold and acquire Buzz, Buzzfeed. Well, Don't do three, that to him. It, the, the thing is, they have three or four hundred million in revenue, and they only have fifty million in cash left, and they're losing money. They got a hundred million. In I was going to say, how much does it cost to produce that that revenue? I wouldn't know, but well, we spoke, yeah. Josh. We spoke about this yesterday. If you look at the number of companies that are trading below their cash value in short term investments. It's at an all-time high. Why? As you know, much better than we do, all of these money-losing companies have been subsidized by people like you and your peers, and that game is over, and it's not coming back tomorrow. And so it stands to reason that if you're bleeding money and it costs a ton of money to keep you in business, you will trade at a discount to what cash you have on hand. Or somebody could take this company over, like we're so with um, uh, Zendesk is being taken private. So when does that happen? When does M&A kick up? It's happening right now. I think that's going to be the trend of the rest of the year. Because you look at Zendesk, they they had this like uh, hostile board members kind of pushing them to take that $17 billion go private. Now they, they wound up taking a $10 billion go private with over a billion dollars in cash, $1.3 billion in revenue, 30% growth. This seems like a great company. And, they, you know, J- Jason, uh, it, but it, but it, it, I know it feels like a failure for people, may, maybe yeah. like in the venture world, but. Let's keep in mind, Zendesk went public in 2014. It was one of the first yeah. handful of unicorns. I don't think Fortune Magazine did the unicorn cover till 2015, but I could be wrong. Maybe it Great was 14. Outcome. But that was one of the first, and it was ridiculed. Yes. People said, a billion dollars for a, a chatbot or whatever. Makes no sense, so, yeah. So th- getting a $10 billion exit eight years later is not a failure. Like I know no. we, we wish it could have been more. The stock it's price a, is higher, but that's a win. It's a completely Everybody fair won. point. But what I look at is um, long-term greed-wise, the management team and the board, they, I think, um, these private equity folks, I think just pressured them to give up because they made their lives so miserable. You know, couldn't they have, because they were going to also buy SurveyMonkey. You would think a company that was in a strong position, this isn't BuzzFeed in a weak position, this is a company in a strong position, 30% growth, that's almost high growth, right? It's 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 very respectable growth on a big number. Um, why cash in your chips now? Why not keep going? And I think it's because the private equity firm is like, we're going to cut half the staff. We're going to make this thing print three, four, five hundred million in profits a year, and then we'll take it out again or sell it to Salesforce for 20 billion. Uh, yeah. And I think that's what we're going to see. So somebody will buy, I, I think Bankoff or Vox, will wind up buying, uh, you can see a reverse merger, maybe Vox does some kind of deal with BuzzFeed to go public. And then they just got the BuzzFeed staff and make it profitable and put it with their collection of we've assets. Seen, so we, we've seen a trend of international billionaires buy US media assets from sure. overseas because it puts them immediately into the conversation in a way that they have influence from day one. So this rather is than hire, a company, yeah, yeah, rather than hire PR firms and and try to get a message at or show up at Davos every year, like if you own your own media outlet and it's got uh, video, it's got print, it's got uh, mm. subscription, like you're you're a player. People have to listen to what you have to say. So uh, I mentioned Fortune before. I th- Fortune, I think, is the best financial magazine of all time, um, and that was sold to. A billionaire from uh, somewhere in Asia. N- oh, it was, nobody yeah, it was the guy. He was a crypto guy who they were criticizing, perhaps. and then he bought part of it. I think. Yeah, I mean, you, and so then I, Benioff I wouldn't one time. Yes, Bezos and bought, Bezos bought the post. Yeah, uh, and then what's his name? Uh, 
You'll see Pierre more. Midiar started information. No, he's Pierre started the intercept. So yeah, it's I mean it's a classic move. Media sucks as a business. Let's be honest. Like the journal journalism unless, media. Right, unless you have an agenda, unless you yeah, have an alternative yeah. uh, use for those assets beyond just advertising revenue. Well, that's and what this is too. Do. Think about this. Like we do media. We don't need to make money from it. We have other day jobs. So right. that's kind of like the ultimate sweet spot. That was the big beef at all in that we had this like little flare up because it became a business all of a sudden. And we're like, you know what? Our businesses are big outside of all in. Let's just make that a podcast four way split. We'll just do it once a week. We're not going to do any events. We're not going to do any of that. Even with the great success of the event, we the first event we did because we're like our other businesses are crushing it. Let's just do the pod every week and be the 25th, 35th, you know, biggest episode of the week every week. And that's enough. No advertising. Just go from there. Hey, Jason, um, getting back to, to where we yeah. are on the market. I was listening to uh, Plain English today with Derek Thompson. He had Connor Sen on talking about like where we are in the cycle. In 2008 and during the dot-com bubble, by the time stocks were already, by the time stocks were down 20%, we were already in a recession. Now, the MBER didn't tell us we were, but I think people knew that we were in a recession. Right now, it's happening so much quicker where the stock market is front running a recession. So you look at home builders, for example, the stocks are down 40%. They they have gross profit margins at an all-time ho- record high, pre-tax income at a record high, but stocks don't get credit for what they did. They get credit or penalized for what they what the investors think the market is going to do. So I would say that if we do not get a recession, stocks are very, very attractive right now. But there is still a lot of price instability for the first time in basically our lifetime. And that matters yeah. a lot. The cost of capital matters a lot. Yeah. Hey, Michael, di- Michael did this thing on his blog. Uh, I don't know if we have the graphic to share, but just the information is really valuable because uh, it's, n- it's a new environment for most people watching this. Um, stocks during... So when people say inflation is bad, it's actually not. It's You need inflation because the alternative is worse. Disinflation. It's high inflation that's bad or yeah. quickly accelerating. So Michael broke it down into inflation regimes, zero to 2%, 2% to 4%, 4%. And there is a point at which historically the rubber meets the road and stock returns become deeply negative. Um, the other interesting finding there, which Michael can, can explain is that actually falling inflation, no matter what level it's falling from, mm. is a really good tailwind for stocks. Even if it's falling from eight to six, it's actually beneficial. Um, because Mike, what am- consumers have more money to spend and engage. Because we're looking forward. Because the stock market is Got looking it. forward. So falling inflation. Yeah. So it's like, sh- so here's the number one thing before Michael go. The number one thing about investing that might be different on Wall Street than Silicon Valley. The number one thing about public market investing and Wall Street, there's no such thing as good or bad. There is only ever better than expected or worse than expected. Mm. So get those two words, good and bad. If you're going to be a public market investor, eliminate those two words from your vocabulary. It doesn't exist. All that matters is, okay, that sounds bad, but the expectations were so much worse. The asset rallies and because vice versa. Because the assets are being priced in real time. Dude, so it's right. So interest rates, it. yeah. interest rates are the lifeblood of the economy. And yeah. interest rates were at zero for a long, long time. And the only thing that mattered was top line growth, subscriber growth, user growth. And we overdid it dramatically, right? At one point during the pandemic, Peloton had a larger market cap than MetLife. 
30, Zoom, 40 billion. Yeah. Peloton now was bigger than MetLife. Uh, Zoom was bigger than ExxonMobil. So we yeah. clearly overdid it. And then so we don't need to go into all the areas, but we overdid it a lot. And maybe we're overcorrecting on the downside right now. But a lot of these companies, just on traditional metrics, still don't appear to be like bargains. I know the stock price is down a whole lot, but they still have Nike is a good example of that. Like it's, a, it's like one of the greatest companies in the world. One of the greatest companies in the history of, of consumer companies. They had a good earnings report. They actually beat on revenue and earnings. The problem is it was 23 times earnings when they reported. And this is a market that is 16, probably on its way to 13 or 14. Hey, Tom Eschbacher is here with us again. He's a senior sales manager at LinkedIn Marketing Solutions. And we're talking about their amazing report today in startup marketing, as well as how to use LinkedIn to grow your startup. What are some tactical things, not big picture strategy? I'm talking tactics that founders can do today to figure out product market fit. One of the big tactics we see here is amplifying organic posting with paid advertising. You consider a startup that raises a seed round they post the news on their LinkedIn page and see a bunch of likes, clicks, and follows come in. They follow that then with some updates about product and they see continued traction with, for instance, HR benefit managers at tech companies that have fewer than 500 employees. That's a signal and it becomes important to then get a larger sample. And to increase confidence, we've made it super easy to identify which audiences are engaging with your organic content, your LinkedIn company page, your website, and then extend reach into those segments with our best-in-class B2B ad targeting. So for early-stage startups who amplify organic with paid, we see a 13x lift in unique reach. And those are meaningful insights to help inform product and go-to-market strategies. Such a great strategy. Head to LinkedIn.com slash This Week in Startups and get the report now so you have an edge on your competitors. And as a little pot sweetener, $100 off your first marketing campaign thanks to Tom and the team at LinkedIn. Go get that report and get the hundy. Yeah. Um, we bottomed, by the way, the S&P over the last, uh, over the last five years, historically, like during crises, COVID included, has been bottoming at 14 times. So we're not that far Another, away yeah. from crisis I multiples. I feel we're bouncing we're along not. the bottom. I feel like you're, we're bouncing along the bottom right now. If you were going to buy a company and hold it for 10 years, like I've been looking at Disney, I've been wanting to get into Disney for a while, but it, it kind of spiked up and now it's under a hundred again. And I was like, I think I'm going to buy some Disney. You know what's Disney is Disney Disney's more expensive than Netflix right now. I know, but earnings. they own Star Wars, Pixar, I, and oh, of course, you know Marvel. Like, and and our kids are going to Disneyland, and our kids are not going to Netflix land. Then I'm going to Ozark, Ozark World. Yeah, no, Ozark World <laughs> kind of dark. I don't think we want to send them there for <laughs> to work with the cartels. <laughs> to work with Ruth? Orange is the New Black World. <laughs> It's not a great exhibit. No, you don't want to spend time there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think this is the time if you were going to start building a position, because I hold things in decades, I take a decade long approach to stuff. I'm not like trading in and out of stuff yearly or, you know, quarterly, and God forsake, not like by day. But I really do like to hold things for a decade. And I feel like that could be like a decade long holding for me. We ran the numbers and Disney has actually underperformed the S&P 500. Yeah. For for 30 over the last 30 years. So yeah. all of the things about Disney that make it a great company, we could all cite those things, the parks, the kids connection with the characters. But it's a media street. company. Also. But in the end, in the and end, e like and if ESPN you, and ABC suck. If you if you yeah. bought the S&P instead of Disney 30 mm -hmm. years ago, you did better. So buy and Crazy. hold is obviously great, but 
where you buy is yeah, going to have matters. a really big. Jason, Facebook uh, under Facebook uh, underperformed the Nasdaq since inception. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I am. A, I think the subscription business that Disney is building has such amazing opportunities. I don't understand who's running product there, but you know. And I said this on CNBC, and I almost got laughed at the show. I said they're, they're going to be bigger than Netflix. Just watch. Like this, subscri- it's obvious to anybody who's looks at content that the, their content and IP library will result in more subscribers ultimately on a, especially on a global basis where these characters transcend Wait, why, why do you, why do you say that um i think anybody who's a parent who gets uh disney will never unsubscribe because all of us yes it, and be, so if you're a parent you're not going to unsubscribe and these things become timeless like we watch star wars my daughters who are six years old and 12 years old um they are now into obi-wan they're into clone wars now we have that shared ip Marvel, you're having shared IP. We all grew up reading X-Men comic books. Uh, and now we get we're gonna have the X-Men movies with the Avengers movies because they just got that license back. And then Pixar, like our kids, or you know, we kind of missed that one. Maybe we saw it uh, you know, if we're Gen Xers, but Pixar transcends that. And the Disney characters transcend that. So this idea that you could have a media company that's subscription that a that every generation can enjoy together to me is unprecedented in the world whereas netflix is kind of long tail and pockets of like Chappelle shows over here orange is the new black ozark these appeal to very different groups of people and i don't understand how incompetent disney is that when you sign up for disney plus at the end of the show they don't play a trailer for the star wars experience and then have a one-click purchase your tickets mm. or you watched grogu and you got introduced into baby yoda spoiler alert it didn't upsell you on buying Grogu for Christmas. Those opportunities cr- are coming in the I, app, in app yeah, purchases. For sure. In app typical purchases, or I could subscribe and it would include, like I could give them $1,000 a year and Fine, get four but why couldn't? But why couldn't Netflix sell us uh, opium during Ozark? Like, Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Why can't they upsell you? I saw a pretty damn <laughs> suggestion today from, from, from Netflix. Uh, Vox did this piece. Netflix subscribers are mm. more likely to quit in the first month than any other streaming service. You know why? Binging sucks. is such a stupid decision. Binging was a great decision at the beginning because it was new and novel, but you none of these shows have the BuzzFeed, uh, you know, water cooler effect. Or Ringer. You, or Ringer. You don't have right. the water cooler effect. Right. Why not spread out uh, Queen's Gambit? Why not spread out Ozark? So they tried be, to do that with um they with did Stranger that. Things with they Stranger broke Things. Did, the last yeah. two seasons of Ozark, they gave you half and half. They they yeah, are they doing do that it weekly. They need to make it like Sopranos. HBO Max knows what they're doing. HBO Max is so much better than Netflix. So much better. Disney is great, and they aren't just shows, space it out for aren't you. There shows though that are better to just dump the whole season at once and and let the I fans go so. crazy. No, in I, the I first think it weekend. might be better for super fans. I would have loved to gotten uh, Obi Wan at, at one drop, but. You know, as a, Cause, uh, cause as a honestly, uh, this is embarrassing, but I forget what happened from one week to the next. Yeah, that's age. That's just age, Josh. That's, that must be age. I'm are like, are you turning wait, on this? subtitles? Are you turning on subtitles for Game of Thrones because you can't understand what they're saying anymore? No, I, I'm no. about to. Are you reading <laughs> they, You're the reason they have the recap there. The rest of us hit skip recap, it's Josh. <laughs> it's for it's you. Me. You're losing it. I um, am. So if. One of Disney, the interesting uh, let me just put a to put a button on this. Yeah, Disney. Disney Disney added seven and a half million subs last quarter, while Netflix lost two hundred thousand. Disney, Disney will have a billion subs. This right because by when? Gonna by be when? One by when? I think it'll be, be right because when Disney years. goes into a new geography, 
They don't have to clear their throat and introduce themselves. Nope. It's, these characters are Timeless. universally known and loved the world yep. over. Yep. And Disney can just basically say, hey, we're here. We're in your language. Here's Let's the price. Go. And it's a done. It's done. So I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. I mean, look, everybody made fun of like Disney China. Are you a, a Peaky Blinders guy, Jason? You know, I started. Here's the problem. I'm married. And uh. if I start one of these shows, my no, wife you could stop there. That's, that's the problem. You, understand. you know, they <laughs> fall asleep and then you want to watch. And then if you if I watch a show, I'm cheating. This is the yeah. new cheating. You know, if I go one episode ahead, I, this is the biggest. My wife's not watching that house. with me. It's not. Oh, you know, she, we're watching together, though. She'll watch uh, the old man. She's into it. Really? Uh, yeah, she's, she's into that? it. Yeah. Which is, my wife doesn't want to watch anything violent. Oh, and that's well, like yeah. everything I love. I'm like, Cancel I start with Netflix. violence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, I'm, you want to watch Gladiator again? She's like, I can't watch that. You know, like anything. Well, like Jason, all these media companies are getting killed. Paramount's getting destroyed. Yeah. Warner Brothers Discovery, all of them. It's a tough business. Also, advertising in a recession gets walloped. So, you know, it's, and it starts with, you know, the weakest things, outdoor and then TV. And the thing that people go to is radio and, um, Digital. We're getting we're getting a question for you uh, okay, from our from Purple fans. Purple um, fans say what? Let's get some questions purple, now. Purple fans want to know what you think about Robinhood at this valuation. I am holding my position. I was uh, an investor before they went public. I had man, I wish I could have distributed to my LPs at thirty dollars a share. Um, but I do think the world of the of the founders and their ability to make great product. I know there were like some issues with like this massive denial of service attack where everybody wanted to short the same stock. Like this is what happens with successful companies. They become sometimes too successful, but I'm holding. I do what think would the it's stock a do if, uh, if Lad stepped down, I think it would go up 20%. Yeah. I mean, he's, I understand why he's not popular right now, but he's also a product genius and their product ge genius is over there. So let me, let me push back a little bit. It's Jason. very rare to be a product genius in the world. And that might not be good enough though in a, out. in a brokerage industry. Uh, fair like, enough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's taking so long for IRA accounts to be open? What's taking so long for them to get ACATs on the platform? This seems to be such elemental stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what's going on. I don't have many insights. I don't talk to management now that it's like a public company all that often. Uh, but they should be, you know, releasing product fast. I think there's a lot of cleanup work that probably had to be done and a lot of management distraction, I, I would say. So when I was watching the Uber situation with Travis, once management gets distracted with, you know, all these folks, you know, you're, you're basically fighting wars every day, lawsuits, investigations, depositions, whatever it happens to be internal turmoil, while you're running a high growth company, this is incredibly challenging, incredibly challenging. I mean, Elon goes through this from time to time. It's just the, the distraction level can get crazy with these lawsuits. And, you know, you're, you're I will say to, on the product side, I yeah. am a I use a platform and yeah. just from the usability, enter yeah. dollar swipe up, there's nothing better. Here's the thing. That doesn't happen by accident. When you have a flawless app that like just delights customers and you get what's called market pull in our industry, people are such incredible fans of the product. They tell their friends about it. You don't need to spend money on marketing. You're just acquiring customers because the market loves it so much. It's happened with Uber. It happened with Airbnb. It happened with Google. It happened with Facebook. It happened with Instagram. It happened with Tesla. You know, like Tesla sell themselves. They don't have to do any marketing. You get in a Tesla, you're like, I want one. You know, it's that simple. And the people it's a delightful product, but can they survive a bear market, a crypto winter? Like, can they survive that? How much it's cash tough. they have? Yeah, I a mean, lot, I think it's, lot, they have a lot. They have a lot of cash, so yeah. they I think have they'll a lot survive. Of cash. Yeah, I, I'm sure so, right. I, they will survive. I mean, can they thrive? Those are different questions. I, I would. It could be like a year or two of sideways. I mean, I 
But I, again, I think in 10 year increments, if you there's no way I don't see the company having 50 to 100 million active accounts 10 years from now. There's no way I don't see Disney having two or three times the number of accounts they have two or three years from now. There's no way Airbnb doesn't have twice as many customers and twice I as think, many hosts I think what's, 10 years I from think now. What's a, I, think w I think what's a reasonable bear case on Robinhood, mm. even at today's valuation though, and where it's different from all of those other examples that you cite, mm. if Disney gets a customer using a lot of their product, mm -hmm. it's not really hurting the customer. Like I see a million Disney movies, I have the app, I go to the park once a year, I'm a Disney, like I love Disney. It's like a good thing. If Robinhood has a customer using its product a lot, that customer is going to go broke. You cannot tell me that the so Robinhood's incentive because is day the trading opposite. is yes. day trading isn't as good as holding. Yeah. Well, so what's good for what's good too. for Robinhood is extremely active customers, lots of them, and stock market bubbles. That mm -hmm. is simultaneously the worst possible thing that can happen to yeah. its users. So they're literally sitting on the other side of the table, and that's what separates them from a lot of the the examples that you cite. And I don't know how to, like how uh, does Robinhood do really features. well why it's, while well, its customers do really well? Uh, yeah, my, my thesis on this, I've thought about this a lot. I have a thesis on it, which is, you know, you get people who were interested in trading stocks, maybe owning a share of Tesla, owning a share of Apple. They want to participate. They get a little frisky. You know, it's like somebody at a poker table are playing too many hands. Of course, that's negative EV. Um, you want to start with the good cards and maybe, you know, get more money into the best hands as opposed to just flipping stuff. So I think what's happening is this next generation, the people who are tuning into us on YouTube, I think that that generation is going to be the most sophisticated financial generation ever because they got their asses walloped in crypto. They, they got involved in meme stocks and other nonsense. They're starting with an education that is absurdly high. When you hang out with a bunch of millennials or Gen Zs, they understand shorting and they understand puts and calls to a level that you know, most people in our generation didn't still don't understand. Definitely true. Definitely and true. They, and they're doing it. So you learn by doing. If you want to learn poker, you got to play poker. That's it. You want to you want to be good at gambling. And you have to and, lose money. And you got to lose money. That's the price. So I always tell yeah. people, if you're starting angel investing or poker, make the smallest bets possible. Play as much po as possible. So, so taking, the so taking your concept, though, to its logical endpoint. Yeah. The, so somebody learns a lot because they were a Robinhood user in 20 yeah. and 21. They thought they, they were a genius. They this playing. year, this year they said, you know what? I have learned a lot. And the worst thing I can do is funnel orders to Robinhood all day and, and trade so against Citadel. Robinhood knows that as well. And they have 401ks, 529s, balance portfolios, and people doing Is that profitable? Well, I, I think there'll be a super app of finance, and I think Robinhood has a chance of being it. I think they're the likely candidate. So imagine this generation opens up an app, and they're getting their paycheck put in there, their they're checking accounts in there, their 529 for their kids is in there, their 401k is in there, their IRA is in there, and they're just doing tax optimization, tax loss harvesting. We were also shareholders in Wealthfront, which I think sold too early. Um, but Wealthfront also kind of was educating people on that, and they kind of had a little bit of an older generation um you know using it but um you know i think that these apps uh will uh come together and they'll be um super apps just like uber sort of turning into a super you app think now. robin hood has a head start on something like a sofi to be the because most people are not gonna it'll have be a two five horse of these race. it'll be a two or three horse race of course you yeah. think it'll and be those two or and there could be other ones that show up. You could see something like Cash App that Jack's working on, maybe expand, right? Because I, I think he did he add crypto to Cash App. I think he did. 
Um, do, you, do you worry about the seamlessness with which somebody can have their paycheck deposited into a financial super app and with one swipe have that be in five different crypto coins? Like, having should worked, life be that yeah. seamless? Should uh, finance have yeah. no uh, roadblocks at all, no friction? I, I am a fan of people being able to do what they want with their money and learning hard lessons early. So I am fine with it uh, because the alternative is, you know, what I saw when I first started working, you know, in on down on Wall Street, installing laser printers in the late 80s and early 90s, which was people were taking their paychecks to a money, a cash checking place. And they were paying 4% on their money Still to are. just get cash. Yeah. And Still then we go to a bar and we lose another 20%. And then we would wonder where our money was going. So yeah, if it goes into an investment app, yeah, I think it's a much better thing than going to a cash checking place. I, I think poor people and people who are starting on the economic rung, Yes, they should be getting their money put into an investment app and at least having the option before they, you know, gamble it or spend it on beer or a night out. Yeah, maybe I could put some of it into Apple or Disney. Yeah, that might be a better outcome, actually. Um, and I, 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 that's why I love what you guys do, you know, here with the compound is you're educating people and you're demystifying it. We're having a conversation here. It's you can actually, as a consumer, have a reasonable discussion about Disney and then you can learn from from guys like you or guys like me or other places. Yeah, there's some nuance here. What's the price earning? What's the average price earning? That's what we're trying to do on all in. That's what I try to do on this week. Startups. That's what you're trying to do here. It's not whenever finance gets super complicated. It's probably there are some things that are complicated, of course. But whenever it gets super complicated, it's probably because somebody's running a grift or a scam. When people started to explain to me, Oh, you can get 15% 20% by loaning out your Bitcoin. I was like, Okay, what's explain to me the scam? What's the grift? And they're like, not a grift. I'm like, okay, who's paying the 15% interest? And they're well, like, what's the, no, what's the risk that I'm not seeing? Exactly. And in the, this the case, risk counterparty, of course. Yeah, counterparty, and people were doing off-chain bull****, and they were also like giving you tokens as your interest. That'd be we like giving thing. you airline miles or something. Like you're throwing yeah, we have in airline thing miles. We, we have a thing that we talk about, um, and Corey Hofstein, I think, is the person who has done the best job at like coining this phrase and and writing about it in depth. But uh, we stole it. Um, that risk can never be eliminated; it can only be transformed. So, yeah, like, it's a good one. Yeah. So, so, like, you can you can start off by saying, "Okay, I'm going to invest in such and such asset class, whatever," but I really don't like this particular risk. Maybe mm -hmm. it's the liquidity, or maybe it's um, the risk of volatility or whatever, you can totally transform a volatility risk into a liquidity risk via hedges or whatever. Like there's a million ways that you can transform risk, but you're always taking some kind of risk if there is a potential reward. And I mm -hmm. think to your point, like a 15, 20 million Robinhood users have learned that about yep. a variety of different markets. But I I don't I'm know saying, if they really learned it, but they experienced it definitely. Sometimes yeah. risk can be transformed in a positive way where mm -hmm. you're not the person over. So for example, illiquid investments, right? Yeah. The the marks that we all know are fake are sometimes in the in the investor's best interest. Of course, they can't blow out even if they wanted to, but Cliff Asness calls this volatility laundering. So in other yeah. so 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 in other words, I am at risk. The risk I have though is not volatility, because I can't sell anyway. The risk I have is I just can't get access to my capital. Right. We consider this a feature in private markets. So, you know, one of the ways people got really rich with Uber was Travis didn't let people sell. And he controlled the secondary market of Uber shares with an iron fist. Um, and then some people in the early round, like I was, we had certain rights to our shares where we could sell them. 
And, you know, there were people who were contemporaries of mine who sold at two, three, four billion. And I had people banging my door to sell my shares. Listen, it was a lot of money for me at the time. I'm glad I held, you know, uh, there, there were 10 X's to occur, 20 X's to occur after that. So, you, you know, holding is um, Hard. sometimes a feature, not a bug. Um, and that's how venture firms work. Venture firms, you, you got you put your money in and you find out 10 years how you t later how you did. That's why, you know, endowments like them. It's like, I can just put this money away. I trust this fund manager in 10 years, I'll find out how I'm doing. That's that's not a arc that most people want, but it does take out all volatility. We send our LPs a note every year. Here's a very conservative estimate of what this stuff is worth. But please ignore, feel free to ignore all of these reports, audits, markups, and just look at cash in, cash out. I'm in 20 plus venture funds, some of the most famous ones in the world. And I just look cash in, cash out. I put in 100,000, how much they get out? What would I have done in the market? I just set these, I call them wealth bombs. You put 100K, 250K into one of these venture firms. I'll find out in 10 years. Did I, did I 2X or did I 10X? And sometimes we 2 or 3X, sometimes you 10X, sometimes you 20X. And I, I kind of like that way of investing, but I'm actually coming around to public markets now that everything's so low. Because you start right. looking at some of these valuations like Peloton at 3 billion with 900 million in quarterly revenue. I know they're running out of cash and it's been mismanaged and it's a show in so many different ways. But the new manager seems pretty good. If they can get some cash, I, I, don't, I don't know why this thing hasn't been bought yet. Why is Peloton Which, sitting wait, out there at 3 Peloton? billion? Yeah. Why didn't somebody buy it yet? Because the comps are impossible for the next decade unless we're going to have a pandemic. Another one. That's yeah. why. They'll never have a year as good as uh, 20 ever but well, unless, we, unless monkey pox billion, like really three, blows four up billion in revenue i mean why can't three nike billion buy them? company nike yeah, that makes total sense nike, but what's the rush but what's the Apple. rush look at the trajectory so I why would you wait point wait right yeah wait it's like, it's like we're playing, yeah we're playing some like game of um chicken here like who's going to do the snack well, mirror got bought mirror got bought by lulu I don't know what they paid, but I already could pretty much mentally guarantee that's a write off at some point. Like, the, like, uh, mm. so like, what's the, what's the, what's the, unless you, unless Nike thinks Adidas is going to buy it, what, why would they be in a rush? I guess. I guess, but it's got two billion. Does it have two million subscribers between the two? Like a million and a million and change for the hardware subscribers. It's such a great product too. The people who have it love it. I think they would do really well at gyms. Equinox maybe merge with it. And what about the, the issue that? Everybody that could afford one and wants one bought it, and there's nobody left. Is that is that believable? Just, you could buy the customers and just cross sell them. Yeah, I think you could. I think the price will go down. I think they have been very greedy on the price. I think that they could really. I mean, I paid like three or four grand for my treadmill, and then I pay forty four dollars a month. It's pretty outrageous. I think they could go down market over time and keep expanding that. Um, I would have really liked to seen them buy Tonal. Tonal is a great product too. It's just that Tonal's very expensive to install. I looked at that business. It was, a, you, know, you have to like bolt it onto the wall, but it's a very cool product and it keeps getting better. I just think somebody will, you know, consolidate Tonal, Hydro, and Peloton and do a roll up. That's the other thing that'd be great. One of these PE companies should just buy those three assets, put them together and get the economies to scale. Um, what are you most excited about that you've invested in recently? Great public or public or private like what are mm. you what are you fired or forget about like what happens in the next three months like what are you just fired up about in general so hardware is a horrible business like consumer hardware so i did a 
um, a smoke detector at one point and a camera, you know, in the days of Dropcam and, you know, before Nest existed uh, and, and Google had bought Dropcam. And so I got my ass handed to me on a couple of those investments. And then something hardware as a service emerged. So what's hardware as a service? You know, SaaS, software as a service, you pay a monthly mm. fee for software. Adobe moved over to this after Salesforce pioneered it. And it turns out to be more profitable when people have to buy yeah. package software. We all know like they steal it. And you know, the, then they're trying to extend the life cycle, maybe I'll keep my Photoshop for another year. And it's just better for everybody you pay 20 bucks a month for your Photoshop, or you pay 50 bucks a month for whatever Salesforce or Slack or notion or Zendesk. Okay. Uh, we had a hardware company that presented at one of our events called density and they were doing people counting. Uh, and they would count the number of people coming in and out of Phil's coffee. I was like, this is a reasonable investment. I'll put 350k in it. I own 6% of the company. Um, they go through three iterations of the hardware. Eventually, they realize, hey, you know who really actually needs to count people in spaces? People with big campuses. Okay, so let's talk to some universities. Wait a second, there's companies with big campuses like Google, and Twitter, and Yahoo, and oh, Yahoo got bought by AOL, AOL's got campuses. So they built this people counting, it's density.io. And um, I invested in this company it was 5 million, it's worth over a billion now. And lo and behold, the pandemic happens. Now people have this asset of space, and they need to optimize it. And they need to know how many people are in a space because of the pandemic. But more importantly, you know, this, you have the legal departments like I need more space. And we need two more conference rooms. And then the CFO or ops person is like, you have a lot of space now, but I guess you guys get paid a lot. This Maybe reminds me of Matterport a, a little bit. Yeah. You probably know RJ. Yep. And okay, so similar theme. What, what they can do is they can tell you, hey, the sales department, that 12 seat conference room has an average of 1.1 people in it. It's being used as a phone booth. You, you don't need it. They should share it with accounting, period, full stop. And oh, by the way, nobody goes to work in New Brunswick, but everybody's going to work in Long Island City. You should shut the New Brunswick office down. You've only got six people going there and you're spending this amount per square foot. And mm. once you do that, it turns out facilities are like the number two after expense. And so they just, they manage that space for you. And it's, it's kind of becoming the industry standard. Um, so I was very, very excited about hardware. Is that an exit? Is that an exit this year or next year? Like, what are they, what do you yeah, think? I, I think it's like, they're just starting to have their ramp up in terms of, um, you know, sales. And so I would like to see them stay private for a little bit longer so they could just take a market share nice and quietly. Um, and there'll be plenty of opportunities after that. And, you know, we had this company Cafe X, which was, you know, trying to do robotic coffee. And there's two of them at SFO. And the company just got walloped. It was in the real world. Oh, airport. Forget, yeah. Airport. So you're running when you when you run a hardware company like that, you're doing the hardware development, and you still have to do the software, right? In their case, they also had to do retail. So you had to do right. three businesses concurrently. Well, now they started saying, you know what, if you're Duncan or your Starbucks or whoever, do you want our machines to put, you know, if you have a big line now for coffee, how about you put one of these 24 hours a day, you can get all kinds of food. Now they serve food from them. And uh, I think this company is going to make it, <laughs> you know, like it was like during the pandemic, it was like, Oh, my God, I don't know if this company is going to make it. And um, now at airports, they're they're doing, you know, like significant revenue every week, and they started to beat the coffee shop that was staffed. It's a storefront or it's a kiosk or it's how a does kiosk. it work? Yeah. I haven't seen and it. So, okay. Yeah, you can just type in Cafe X on YouTube and pull it up. 
but okay. uh, or one of my team members could actually play it here for a second. So, I was in Starbucks at LaGuardia. The line's forty people long. It doesn't make exactly. sense. It doesn't work. So it's now so imagine stupid. there's yeah. one between each one, and ours can do. It's got a tap in it, so you can do cold brew or kombucha. You can put any food in it because it's using an arm to make the coffee, and so that same unit could also be there. It is so that could be beer, that could be wine, that could be an egg and cheese sandwich. So eventually, all this is going to be automated. Oh, look at that! <laughs> yeah, so the robot arms can do anything. So I'm hoping to. Oh, that's cool. That this company. So what this company is doing now is just saying, this. "Hey, buy the machine from us for 250k, and you know, pay us a software fee every month." And you could put Dunkin' Donuts on the front of that. And so, you know, Dunkin' has, you know, or Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf in LA, whatever it is, they might have five of those in an airport. Now they could, five staff locations, they could put another 10 of these between the other popular places or on a college campus. And you're helping us with uh, la labor, uh, labor Shortage. cost inflation. Hey, how much do you pay a month for that? <laughs> is that a, is I that think a their software fee will be like 2K or something like that. So. You know, you'll buy it for two fifty. You amortize that over ten years. Then, you know, these things can do ten thousand dollars a week, five thousand dollars a week. You start to do the math on it. You know, these things do a half a million dollars in revenue a year. You know, you start, to, and that's not with alcohol. You could start to see these things popping up everywhere. And it, the the software and hardware stack is really hard. Do you worry that it's going to be like the supermarket where it's self checkout, and then there's like two people that work at self checkout helping people do self checkout? And then, the machines been, and then the machine breaks and I like, looked. Yeah, it's a great question, Josh. I looked at the burger company, the pizza company, the, the salad company, the yogurt company. They were robotic plus everything. None wow. of them could do the whole process. You, you nailed it. The hamburger company would get you like halfway there. The salad company would get you 60% of the way there. The yogurt place would get you 65%. Pizza would get you 40%. And then a human had to intervene exactly like you're pointing out. It turns out making coffee. Uh, it's something a robot and software can do perfectly today. And they do it more consistently because we know the temperature, we know the foam percentage, the computer does it better. Crazy to think, but the turnover at Dunkin' Donuts is bonkers. Like the average yeah. Dunkin' Donuts worker will last less than a year. That person's this, not going to make you a great coffee, all due respect. The, this the category group, should be called yeah. ass Americanos as a service. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just, you know, like you, you look at what happened with Dunk with, um, um, mcdonald's like in new york they were trying to give 15 dollars an hour 10 years ago and then i remember all of these kiosk companies were like yum yum you ever yum. walk into a you ever walk into a subway uh and say to yourself why isn't this a vending machine exactly what? yeah that would like, be hard yeah cutting the bread know. getting the food anytime you it's got so all those modular, ingredients it's so modular like why why wouldn't that be an assembly line that you that's coin operated that's probably about 10 years out. The reason okay. is because you got to cut all that food and then the food's flying everywhere. Whereas with coffee, you know, it's like two or three ingredients. It's yeah. the number, sure number of ingredients and the dexterity needed. But, you know, I think you could do. Last question. Will yeah, the, ahead. will the robot, um, spell my name wrong on the cup? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, good. Hey, Jason, Jason, I got a question for you. How long did it take ahead. you to transition to Pacific time? Like in your in as your calendar and your calendar invites as a New Yorker, how long did that take you? Oh God! <laughs> I mean, don't invites. come at me with PST. I don't like that. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's brutal. It's brutal. I still, you know, I'm getting used to. There's a double edged sword. There's. It's kind of nice to be at the end of the day. You're kind of wrapping up, and you got the Knicks game on at four thirty. <laughs> kind of nice. Very it's nice. Kind of nice. And then those late, you know, uh, you guys have those. I 9 can't stay up for starts. those games. It's ridiculous. Not fair. It's not fair. We get them at six o'clock. It's beautiful. They started all the finals at 9 oh, p.m. Eastern. Oh, it's, it's so crazy. beautiful on the West yeah. Coast. You got kids but, that want to watch. They can't. 
but yeah, I have to tell you, like, you know, getting up for markets and, you know, they're like, oh, hey, come in in person for tech check, you know, and you're like, at what time? And I got to get up at 530 and then I got to get to the studio and make up at 630 in the morning. I mean, it's brutal. It's brutal uh, to, to be on air at 6 a.m. So you guys got the the market thing is much better for y'all. Jason, how'd we, do, how'd we do? I wake I up at 4 a.m. I think this is great. We had, you know, we had three or 400 people on our side. You had 700 people. I think we had 1,000 people. That's dope. I think the conversation moved fast. We didn't shout take out enough to questions. The, uh, shout out to the viewers. Thank you, guys. And all the great- Yeah, how did we do? Uh, what did you think of the comments and stuff. Thank you. Rate the collab, was... one to 10. Rate the collab on a one to 10. I thought this I was so much fun. We would, we would do, we'll great. do this with you uh, whenever you want. Just, just I think this up. is good. And then, you know, we could do a three-way, you know, Josh, we could have a three-way here. My you wife get said no to that. And she said no to three ways. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, we're not no, going to do that. Don't bring it up again, Josh. <laughs> okay. That's a road to nowhere. <laughs> 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 I think that's probably worse than cheating on Netflix. Uh, but look at that. Yeah. A lot of tens, a lot of twelves. Where are people calling in from? That's the other question I had for folks. Where are you calling in from? Uh, what city? Our, what our people are our people are like U.S., Canada, U.K., but all over the world. And yeah, all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this this was this was awesome. Thank you for having all us right, on our thanks. channel. Yeah, thank you. we'll have thanks, you on. Thanks, have, yeah. Everybody on, on your my channel, channel we'll have you on our combat. channel next time. Yeah. Yes. 100%. So you guys host next time. Everybody go just search for the compound and subscribe, hey, rate, and follow. Congrats me. on uh congrats on all in, by the way. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah. Great, great show. You guys are Appreciate consistent it. and uh we're you know, we're we're fans of yours, you're fans of ours, so we, oh, we really fantastic. appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Hey. All right. We'll see you all next time on the compound and uh this weekend starts. Bye bye. <laughs> thank you. I don't know how to end the show here. I don't, are you supposed to end the show? Do I end bow, the show? We, you, you do a little bow. We all go out like on, uh, and we, we hold hands and we bow. Just like it's a Broadway show.